school. Today we're studying Machen and apologetics. So there's a video we'll watch and then some discussion items. Um, I did not make an outline today, although uh, after the video is over, I do intend to show an outline. I shouldn't say I didn't make an outline. I didn't make an outline to hand out. I do have an outline I want to show on the screen. Um, but uh, if afterward uh, you'd like something to take home, uh, I do have some copies I can make. Um, so just let me know. Um, any, uh, any prayer requests before we get started? Yeah, what our church is going through right now. Absolutely, it's a good prayer request. Um, <clears throat> and it might go without saying, but that, you know, we don't, we don't fully know why God wants us to pray because he knows everything. So even if we think it goes without saying, we should still pray for it. Um, anything else? Unfortunately, there's some global turmoil going on, um, and I think that should be part of any prayer request. <clears throat> on that, on that specific request too. Any time Israel comes up in the news. Um, it can be very divisive. The enemy will use anything to divide God's people. Um, anytime Israel comes up in the news, it can be divisive. Um, I know a lot of my friends are more in the camp of believing that Israel is like a current extension of the uh, people of the Old Testament to whom God made a covenant. Um, I won't speak for everyone in the church because this isn't something that's dogmatic, but generally speaking, our our church's position is not that. And that, of course, leads to, and my position is not that. So that leads to some potential fireworks on places like Facebook. So even though the problem is a world away, the enemy can use um, even differences over scripture and uh, current events to divide God's people against themselves. So, sort of the same prayer request, Jesse. Pray for the church that. Uh, wherever she is, that, that we will remember that God will be faithful to his covenant people, even if we disagree on what, how that covenant people is defined. Um, and even for people who have a position more like the reformed, the traditional reformed position, um, <clears throat> the God's people are everywhere. There's no, uh, there's no one tribe or nation, um, so we should, we should always uh, pray that uh, God, God will be faithful to his covenant uh, in spite of world events that seem uh, difficult. I think, too, there's a piece with that that uh, 
in general, um, if you have if you have the position that the Israel on the map today is not the same as the people of the Old Testament, it's easy to sort of write off their suffering as like, oh, well, that doesn't matter to God. Well, it still matters. It just matters for different reasons. Um, God still cares about suffering and sin and, um, you know, people being displaced. Um, if, you, if you start from the position that we're all sinners, God has no reason to care more about the people in this room than somebody who lives in Israel or in the Gaza Strip. Uh, because we, we know that we're all sinners and none of us deserve God's uh, love and affection and grace. Any other prayer requests? Amen. Well, um, what we can do then is... Uh, Let's go ahead and pray, and then we've got some opening remarks before we dive into this video. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father and Almighty God, we thank you for being the God who keeps the covenant. We praise you that your ability to keep your covenant is not limited to our limited understanding. Um, Forgive us for when we attempt to tell you who you are instead of listening to you tell us who you are. Uh, we lift up our church to you, that we would be unified uh, in your grace and love and unified in our mission to love our enemies and to take your gospel truth to the world even, even as we study apologetics today. Uh, give us a new heart and a new zeal for your truth. Balance our zeal with compassion and love for the sinner, because we're right there beside every other sinner. Uh, we recognize that uh, we are your covenant people, not because of our own will or our own effort or our own holiness, but only because of your grace and mercy. Uh, please bring some uh, remedy to the pain and suffering that we see in our world and uh, use, continue to use the events of our times to show your sovereignty and your glory and to call your people to yourself. Uh, thank you for this time together. And <clears throat> Be with us as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this week is Machen and Apologetics. And I'd like to uh, start off with some, some ideas for before the video and then scripture reading. So if you... If you had to put it in one sentence or like one, even less than a sentence, what would you call apologetics? It is to give a reason for yeah. what you believe. Excellent. Yeah, a defense of the Christian faith. Um, thanks for that, Keith. 
Uh, apologetics was vital to Machen. He dedicated a significant part of his scholarly output to defending essential points of Christianity. Um, and a, a particular focus of his was modernism and reinterpretations because of modernism. Uh, in this lesson, the presenter, Dr. Nichols, will define apologetics, discuss Machen's approach to apologetics, and then connect that to uh, how that exposes error and preserves the gospel, as well as bolsters our faith. Uh, some learning goals. Always good to have goals, right? Uh, so by the end of the lesson, we should be able to define apologetics and its purpose, explain how the New Testament itself is an apologetic and calls us to apologetics, <clears throat> and then finally to summarize Machen's approach toward apologetics and some defining features of classical apologetics. Some key ideas, what Keith just shared with us, apologetics is the reasoned defense of the Christian faith and its content. The New Testament calls all Christians to the task of apologetics, which is essential to the nature of the New Testament itself. Think of all the times that different uh, apostles and disciples stood in front of key leaders and gave a reason for the faith. Uh, often, just before they went to their death. Um, so apologetics are important enough to be your last words. Think of it that way. <clears throat> Machen took a classical approach to apologetics, believing that apologetics should start with arguments for God's existence. So before the, we play the video, uh, a couple of questions and a scripture reading. Um, why is it important to know what you believe and why you believe it, even though it seems like a, an elementary question? Why is it important? <clears throat> So we're not led astray by lies. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Um, it's often just as much for us, maybe even more for us, than it is for the potential convert. Uh, we Christians face temptation, doubt. Um, so apologetics are vital to our own, uh, our own lives. Another question, why is the most difficult thing about, oh, sorry, what is the most difficult thing about sharing your faith with others? No, no real specific right answer here. I think this would be different for everybody, so it's okay to take a risk. Probably overcoming your fear of rejection. Fear of rejection? Well, something in the back? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, fear of man, but uh, there also might just be a fear of Hey, I, I cannot articulate it very well, or I will fumble through it. Sure. You know, uh, which is, yeah, good because when you do have a defense of the faith and you thought through that, you know, then you have to know scripture. Uh, yeah. So. And certainly, faith is not all. I mean, there is reason is a huge part of faith, but um, oftentimes we we arrive at a decision emotionally, and then we rationalize the decision. Um, 
you know, buying a new car, probably a great example. Um, any kind of consumer purchase. Uh, it's easy to first have the emotional decision and then rationalize it later. And there is an emotional component to faith and conversion, absolutely. Um, but I think for people who uh, didn't move beyond, if you never uh, had like some elementary instruction following your conversion, it could be mostly, um, well, you know, I love the music here. And I'm not, I mean, I know that sounds like silly, but that's a good reason to want to worship because the music is beautiful and it reminds me of God's beauty. Um, but it, as the Christian life grows, we should get at kind of these deeper reasons. What about when music isn't that good? What will you do then? Or um, what if all your friends don't go to the same church as you? What will you do then? Um, a lot of times we're converted or, or we're exposed to the faith because of emotional reasons or family connections. But really understanding apologetics helps us make the faith our own. Uh, yeah? One aspect of that you know, understanding what it is God wants you to do. You may be the one that's, you know, sowing the seed, but, you know, you know, you may not bring that person to, to know Christ. It might be the next generation or the next group. Uh, there's so many times in history, you know, we talk about missionaries and evangelism and all things that have taken place where, uh, you know, the seeds were set and then the next generation came in or the next person talked to somebody. So, you, you know, you, you should also realize that, um, it's not something that you have to. Uh, if you didn't, if you didn't convert somebody, it's not a, the end of the world. If you will. No, that's a great point, uh, and I think a solid understanding of apologetics supports that. That uh, we know that the one who plants is not the one <coughs> who harvests. Um, great point, Ron. Um, so uh, let's have some uh, scripture reading here. So if you have your Bibles with you, please go to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. So starting with verse 13, we'll end in verse 17. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now... Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. <clears throat> Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, having heard that read, in what context does Peter specifically call us to be prepared to defend our faith? It's in the second sentence of that passage. You're talking about the um, prayer to make a to anyone who asks. 
tasks is that what you're asking about? Uh, well, I think that is, I think that is where the call. I think that is the call. He's calling us to be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks. But in what context, um, what situation is he saying we'll be facing, we might be facing, or probably will be facing when we're making defense? Suffering. Suffering. And back to all those church fathers that we have, uh, that we have, um, that we have uh, connections with, and we, we see in Scripture, you know, um, they weren't, they weren't just called in, hey man, uh, local Roman governor wants to have a chat with you, no big deal. He's curious about your faith. I think, I think they would have known what that meant, right? And I think we would know too. Um, so keep that in mind that we're supposed to give a defense for the faith in the context of suffering for righteousness' sake. And we're supposed to have no fear and not be troubled. So um, I've got some notes that I'm going to put on the board while we watch this video. Uh, and I, I will, like I said, I'll be prepared to provide outlines. Um, the way these lessons are set up, there's an answer key in the back. So if you remember back to uh, like junior high math class, when the questions started to get really hard, the answers were in the back. Um, so just like a good philosophy class or junior high math class, the answers will be available at the end. Uh, we're going to struggle with the questions, and then uh, I'll make sure that you have a copy to take with you uh, so that there's nothing confusing. Or in the event that we don't get to all the questions, you'll have the questions from the outline and the answers. All right. So time for... some questions, um, I want to quickly point out that uh, next week's lesson is the book, Christianity and Liberalism, Machen's book, and, you know, before I, let me make sure we're not talking about some other book, wouldn't be the first time. Yep. So the book is available on Kindle for a dollar. And I found it on Audible for free. It's a five to six hour listen. Uh, and just from, 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 in preparing for this, I listened to chapter one. And uh, a lot of what you just heard about liberalism, modern philosophy, um, was in there. Uh, so he talked a lot about the standardization of the education system, how um, even in his day there were these uh, proposed laws to say that every child had to attend public school. And his counter to that was, well, what you're actually doing is eliminating the competition for public school. The, and and even, even challenging the Christian, the, the purpose of having private school isn't just because you want something better for your own children. It's because having something other than the public school creates competition for the public school and sort of holds them accountable. So not only is it good for the family, but it's good for society too. Uh, 
So I think you heard some of that in the description of his views on modern philosophy. Uh, he highlights an overemphasis on personal fulfillment as defined by the majority. So an example of this would be um, you know, something like welfare. Welfare can be very good for the individual, but when you have mandated welfare with uh, a nationalized system, uh, not to say we shouldn't have that, but when you, when you put controls in place that remove the individual's choice to be a part of the system or not, you're no longer doing what's best for the individual, you're doing what's best for the system. Um, sort of this, we know what's good or we know what's best for you. Um, the tyranny of the majority as the ethical standard. And this is kind of a lowest common denominator. Um, you know, boiling, it would be something like, an example would be boiling big decisions down to their most base parts instead of having a complex discussion on a political issue or uh, something that deserves uh, public discourse, kind of making it a, do you want this or do you want that, uh, as, as lowest common denominator decision making as possible which I think you actually see in our political system today. Um, oddly enough, he was opposed to English-only teaching laws in Nebraska, uh, which might sound strange because if you look at the political conservatives today, they would probably champion English-only as a way of like maintain, maintaining a, like a cultural uh, standard or something. But his reason was that, um, well, how will our kids learn Greek and Latin? we don't start them off at a young age. Um, so by, by, by accepting sort of the plurality of the world in which we live, we gain something. You know, if we have Christ, we're not threatened by one culture or one language or anything else because we have Christ. And I, I think that is an interesting juxtaposition. Back to boiling things down to the lowest common denominator. Today, if you listen to the political discourse on English only or not English only, there's very little nuance and there's very little discussion of why we should have that and often it's just sound bites used to uh, pull you in one political direction or another. And he actually did say at the end of the chapter, for all of what modern philosophy has to offer, we may have gained the world and lost our souls, which is a quote from uh, Matthew 16, 26. So that's a little bit about his book. If you, if you buy it on Kindle or uh, get it on Audible. You know, you might be able to finish a significant part of it before next week's lesson, and that might be really helpful for you. Um, and there's also a free PDF of the book online because it should be in the public domain. Public domain, thank you. Joseph, resident librarian. <laughs> Always helpful. What's the call number? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know you can get it. <laughs> yeah, so modernism.com has a lot of these. They have, they have, uh, Burkhoff, Burkhoff's uh, theology at, at modernism.com. A lot of these uh, well-established uh, church fathers who were prolific in their works at the end of their lives have said, just give it to everybody. Um, Kindle, Kindle obviously isn't on that on that system yet. They're still charging you a dollar. So. Or you can buy the new 100th anniversary edition for Westminster Theological Seminary. Excellent. 100th anniversary edition, Westminster. Is that on their website? It is, wgsbooks.com. Okay. And they actually, <laughs> sorry, they actually put out a podcast this year for the 100th anniversary of Christina Wilson coming out, where they have um, different like reformed theologians talking about different aspects of the book. Okay. So, Excellent. 
Well, before we jump into the questions from the outline, uh, I wanted to discuss briefly modern philosophy. Obviously, it can't fit on one whiteboard, but here's some points. This is from uh, a University of Houston lesson. Uh, so, hallmarks of modern philosophy, a focus on knowledge, skepticism, and justification. This does not mean what we mean when we say justification. This means justifying your view um, through making a strong argument for it, not um, spiritual justification before God. Uh, second point, rationalism and reliance on science, which Machen isn't entirely opposed to. If you heard his uh, understanding of apologetics, he thinks that we, we should lean into science uh, as a way of verifying the, uh, the, the truthfulness of Scripture at times. Um, individualism, which I know that's a weird contrast because over here he's saying we're losing the value of the individual. So this isn't the same individualism as Machen champions. Um, this would be individualism like I can make it up as I go along. Uh, and then faith and progress. Faith and progress, which reminds me of uh, Francis Fukuyama's end of history. When the, when the Cold War was over and the, and the wall fell, Fukuyama said, hey, this is the end of history. Well, I hope not, because we're all still here. Uh, and Christ's, Christ's church is, is still going on. So faith and progress, putting the emphasis on the wrong aspects of life. And then and ambivalence about emotions, um, which is strange because Reformed Christians are sometimes accused of that too. What's up, Ben? Now by modern, you mean modernity? Uh, yes. Okay, because I would say that was, we're in like the postmodern era now, so a lot of these maybe don't resonate with what we experience. That's a good point. Um, but during his time, yes. that was... Yeah, so some of, the, some of the use of the words have changed, and that's a good point. Uh, some key thinkers on modern philosophy. Rene Descartes famously said, I think, therefore, I am which goes back to um, individualism. I can kind of make it up as I like, uh, focus on knowledge and skepticism. I can't prove anything except the fact that I'm thinking, therefore I know that I exist. Immanuel Kant, which uh, if you read Burkhoff's theology, Kant, Burkhoff relies on Kant quite a bit, not because he thinks Kant was right about everything, but because Kant provides um, kind of a like a current status of what a lot of people at the time thought. Um, Burkhoff was writing around the same time as Machen was writing. Uh, we, have his, we have his systematic theology in, uh, in the library. And keep in mind, Kant had a great influence on the church. He was, Kant was working from within the church, but he was one of the ones saying, well, did Jesus rise in your heart? Uh, so he was sort of taking the, the tangible aspects of the faith away. Some examples of modernism and maybe postmodernism because the lines do get a little blurry. Uh, it's everywhere. Um, a quote, quote of the day came up on my quote app the other day. The greater part of human pain is unnecessary. It is self-created as long as the unobserved mind runs through life. The greater part of human pain is unnecessary. It is self-created as long as the unobserved mind runs through life. That's from Eckhart Tolle. Who fits more in postmodern than modern, but I don't think Machen would like this quote either. We'll just leave it there. Uh, what would we what would what would the Christians say to this think this discussion on the greater part of human pain? Is it necessary? Why is it there? We can ask Adam. Yeah. 
Yeah, we would say, well, it's God's will in one way or another. In God's providence, we do suffer. And back to that reference to Peter, give it, give it a sense for your faith in the context of suffering. Um, but according to this philosopher, it's self-created, which is sort of true, but we would say it's because of sin. It's not imaginary, it's, it's real because of sin. And then even Taylor Swift's songs reinforce this type of philosophy. Karma is my boyfriend. Karma is God. Karma is a cat curling up on my lap. Um, so this is, this is the world, or at least part of the world that we live in, a big part of it. Uh, and this is what Machen is telling us to apologize against. So now to the questions. You guys heard the video. I'd like to get to the questions based on what we heard in the video. Um, in what sense is apologetics for the Christian? Are you asking what the point is of apologetics? Can you explain your question? Yeah, well, we think of apologetics as for the unchristian. How's it for the Christian? How's it for people who are already believers? It reaffirms your faith and sees it as a valid and what did he say? Uh, discourage them. Yeah. Apologetics is a reasoned defense so it involve, of the Christian faith, so it involves answering naysayers, but also affects our own understanding of faith. It's necessary because we too can face doubt and discouragement. Machen believed in this regard that apologetics can make Christians confident and joyous when confronted with doubts in an age of unbelief. Um, what about uh, in step with classic in step with classical the classical approach to apologetics? Where does Machen begin his apologetic arguments for the Christian faith? He starts by putting the Bible. We're in front row, please. You got one already. Oh, okay. I appreciate it though. Thank you for your <laughs> He's arguing from uh, science and history to, so basically, like starting, I guess maybe from trying to reason uh, to the Bible, and then, like it's the Bible as an end rather than the beginning. So, same in the back? Well, I'm a presuppositional guy, so I think he starts by putting the Bible on trial um, before presupp presupposing that God exists. And I think uh, one, one um, disadvantage to that is that when you witness an unbeliever, you feel like you have to be an expert in every single field of history and science to prove God's existence instead of telling an unbeliever that even their way of viewing the world presupposes that God exists. Yeah. Okay, fair. Because of time, we're going to move on. Um, so, um, well, maybe we'll see. What is the order of Machen's apologetics? This is in the after the video section. I mean, I think, I think, I think actually, Paul, you already answered this, even though this was a... Yeah, he, he starts with um, science and history, and then um, argues the scripture, and then it's like, the, the truth of scripture, and then, like, 
showing its validity, and then it's all right. Now, now we can end there. Are we taking notes? Good job. All right. Uh, well, don't look at all the answers just yet on the outline. That's for afterward. That's in case you know. In case you come back to this later, I don't want you to just have a question. I'd like you to have the answer according to the material we're using. Why did Machen believe it was important to write scholarly work on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? This is a really important question. I'm going to, because you're a chaplain, I'm going to put a pin in it right there. Let me ask a different question. How valuable is Christ's death if his birth is not miraculous? I think that's the question Machen is asking. Any man might die. Well, in one part of Christ's life, if you could disprove it, the whole story falls apart from beginning to end. Yes. Right, and if the virgin birth isn't there, then it's just or any of the miracles, just another guy. Things it's the same, or if if his very existence. Which right, and this wouldn't be the first time that you know a huge the huge machine of the Roman government had punished one person instead of another person. I'm sure it happened. Um, it happens in our system sometimes. So, what's the difference between someone suffering unjustly and someone? Truly having no sin, being born as a virgin, exactly as Keith, being born from a virgin, as Keith said, all the miracles, no sin, fulfilling all of the Old Testament uh, prophecies and declarations about the Messiah is what authenticate his death in our place as the Son of God. Well, uh, there's a review quiz there, but I'm just now realizing it doesn't have the questions to the, it just has the complete answers, it doesn't have the questions that it's answering. But those will still be helpful. Um, so just to put it in context, uh, yeah, I know. Go figure. So that first question would say, um, which of the following was not provided as an example of someone giving an apologia in the trial context? And so it gives C would be that this was not an apologia. This was used in a theological context in the New Testament. The other examples given were in a trial context. So that question is kind of not that helpful. But um, some of these were true, false, and man, I wish I had the questions on there. So I'll, uh, for anyone who wants it, I'll also run a copy of the, the questions so that you have the questions to which those are answers. Sorry, I didn't see that when I made these copies. Um, well, um, I appreciate everybody's time today, and I would like to. Uh, Pray before we um, go back out, and then if you if you have time this week, think about it. Mason's book on Audible might be free, Belmar and Kindle, or buy it from what was the website? It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, the Westminster Theological Version, or look for it for free on Monergism.com. Okay. Uh, well, uh, let's go ahead and pray, and then go to worship. Heavenly Father and Almighty God, we praise you for who you are. We don't fully understand who you are, uh, but we know enough about you to know that uh, you are holy and righteous, and then we should praise you for that. Uh, in addition to being holy and righteous, you are loving and forgiving, and you have uh, stooped to our level to 
to make us part of your people and to bring us to yourself at great cost to yourself. Uh, we thank you that in order to teach us, you've given us your word. And in order to help us understand your word, you've given us uh, studied theologians like Machen who have taken your word and applied it to the context of their lives and of our lives. Uh, we ask that you would help us to internalize these lessons and um, always be prepared to give a reason for our faith. Uh, help us to have unity in the church, as we prayed for earlier, that uh, we may not agree on every single thing, uh, but we, uh, we Christians agree that uh, Christ has atoned for the sins of his people uh, by living a perfect life and dying in our place. And we thank you for that atonement. We thank you for taking our sin and giving us Christ's righteousness, something we could never do for ourselves. Uh, take us now to worship. Uh, help us to leave the burdens of our hearts behind. Uh, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth and with uh, free spirits, as you have told us, uh, we are free because the Son has set us free. Uh, help us not to be bound by our sin or by any personal grievance. Uh, and give us a clear heart and a clear mind to hear your word preached and to take it out to the world. Uh, in Christ's name we pray, amen.